And open with me to the Gospel of John in the 11th chapter. I think I'm just going to start reading. That's a really good place to start. So John chapter 11, starting off in verse 1, and we're going to read most of the chapter. So let me give you a little heads up. It's a long text. Settle in, but it's good to hear the whole narrative, but I'm pretty much going to preach on one verse in it. Would that be all right? Okay. This would be a yes. This would be a no. Please don't say no, because that's what I got. John writes this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death, no, It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, when John talks about being, that Jesus being glorified throughout his entire gospel, for Jesus to be glorified, John is specifically referring to Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, Jesus loved Mary, or loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, now let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Jesus often says things and the disciples, they just don't get it. I think we're like the disciples, right? Sometimes Jesus says stuff to us and we think he's saying something completely different. And then he has to say, no, 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 no. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Now, if there wasn't a comma and following words, that would be pretty disturbing, wouldn't it? He's dead, and uh, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. But there is a comma. So that what you may believe. So let's go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas is the 
pessimist realist of the bunch, I guess. Well, I guess we're going to... He's loyal, though. Thomas is a loyal follower of Jesus. All right, well, if that's what we have to do, then we'll die with you, Jesus. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jews believed in a resurrection. They just didn't think that it was going to happen until judgment day. And so Martha's theology was correct. Again, she, was, she trusted in Jesus, but, you know, the, what the church had taught her at the time, she was going along, yeah, he's going to rise again. That's a nice, comforting thought, you know, the typical church answer when somebody dies is, you know, it's going to be okay. We'll see him again in heaven. So she's thinking Jesus has given her this nice, comforting funeral talk. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus has done. I think we'll leave off there. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I didn't, I lost count. Maybe you counted along the way. How many different sermons one could preach off a text like that? This is a very rich story. Contains the seventh sign or miracle that that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John. Um, I worked up little outlines for quite a few different messages. You know, you could talk about the difference in timing. The difference between our sense of timing and Jesus' sense of timing. Jesus gets word that Lazarus has taken ill. Serious. John even tells us that he loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And Jesus says, eh, We're going to stay here. They had asked him to come and help. And Jesus says, you know, uh, we just need to hang out here for a while. It's two days he waits. What's that all about? I mean, if you love somebody and you are able, and word comes to you that somebody is taken deathly ill, what do you do? after you send the text. You go, right? If at all possible, you go to be with your loved one. Jesus, he waits two days. He didn't drop what he was doing to go to be with Lazarus. He, Jesus doesn't confine himself to our plans or our ideas. He could have kept Lazarus alive, right? You think that? He could have kept Lazarus alive. Why didn't he? Well, maybe it was to provoke a greater faith in his followers. Maybe maybe it was to teach us that he isn't the beck and call boy that we call on, and he rushes in just in the nick of time to make it all work out so nicely. Maybe maybe he waits so that, uh, hmm, how do we with this. Maybe he, he waits because it seems like sometimes salvation comes too late. Maybe he waits so that he can raise our hopes from the dead. He loves us too much to let our anxieties and our worries become our God. That would be a good sermon, wouldn't it? That's not the one I'm going to preach today. Sometime, maybe I'll get around to it. That was pretty good. That was pretty compelling. I was this close to talking to you about that. Then there's the, you know, this whole idea about Jesus 
He's a wanted man back in Judea and Jerusalem. They were trying to stone him and kill him the last time he was there. And so now he's in the predicament. He's in this catch-22 situation where if he goes back, he's probably going to die. But if he doesn't go back, then Lazarus is, is going to die. And so Jesus is confronted with this choice. Do I go back and save a person whom I love? Or do I stay over here for my own security. I think that would be a pretty good message in this whole idea of being the resurrection and the life, the difference between light and dark that comes up in this text. But I really was drawn to the, the mourning, the grief, the sadness that kind of permeates this text. Some of these verses are well, they're the standard verses that we read at, at funerals to encourage and to give hope. I am the resurrection and the life. We've, we've heard that before. There's a lot of crying in this story. And this isn't, this isn't just plain old ordinary crying like when a child falls down and bumps their elbow on the floor, and, you know, you get the tears of pain. And this isn't the kind of crying that when your sports team loses the big game, you know, you break down in tears and, you know, because life is over as you know it. It's not that kind of crying. This is, I mean, this is deep emotion filled with grief, with wailing and lamentation for the dead. Someone, someone died in our text. Someone who was dearly loved passed away. It didn't have to be like this, they said. I think every one of us have been in that spot. Is that a true statement? Somebody whom we have loved dearly has passed away. And somewhere in the deep recesses of our mind... Maybe they worked, maybe those words worked their way from our mind out through our mouth. It didn't have to be like this, Lord. They're gone too soon. Why, why didn't you come and help? Why didn't, why didn't you rescue us from this? It didn't have to be this way. The family has gathered around Mary and Martha. Friends from Judea had come out. Lazarus was dearly loved. It was a full funeral, full house, every chair full. People are mourning, grieving, crying. Jesus arrives. He joins in. He joins in. John says that the whole scenario moved him deeply, Moved him to tears, in fact. In our core group a few weeks ago, when we were talking about different passages of Scripture that, that we might want to memorize, some wise guy said, I'm going to memorize John 11.35. Jesus wept. That's it. That's the whole verse. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. I would say... Memorize that one. It's a good one. 
It may be the shortest verse in the Bible, but it is very rich in theology when you think about it. I want to preach a sermon on those two words, Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Why why does the Son of God, why does the one in whom we're told in Scripture, Hebrews, why, the one who, who, through whom the universe was created, think about that, Jesus, the Son, through whom the universe was created, why is this person reduced to tears? Jesus wept. It seems like in the context that we have that Jesus is weeping because he was thinking about Lazarus being in the tomb. That's what the context would, would suggest. But if you think about that, it's not, <clears throat> it couldn't be personal grief for Jesus because he already knows what he's going to do. He already knows that he's going to call Lazarus out of that tomb, and Lazarus is going to walk out alive. So Jesus has to know that this is going to happen, and that personally, he can already be celebrating that, right? Nobody else knows what's going to happen yet, but Jesus does. So it's not really personal grief that he's crying over at this point. He's looking around I think, and he's seeing the toll that death and evil and disease and brokenness have on us, and he weeps over it. I think that he does know that to call Lazarus out of that tomb is going to mean that he has to enter the tomb. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John does not, as we get towards the cross, John does not have a text that, that has Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, and Luke talks about the Jesus in, in Gethsemane the night that he was betrayed and, and, and that he's crying these tears that are thick as drops of blood. I think this is John's version of the Gethsemane moment. That Jesus comes to this tomb and he knows what's going to happen and, and he is weeping over what is about to come. I'm going to call Lazarus out, but we're going to change places. He, he knows that raising somebody from the dead would put the Jewish leaders over the top and that it would likely end his own life. He wept. It's a great text. Jesus wept. I was thinking about all of the places where you could put these two words and scribble them on the wall. I couldn't think of a place where it wasn't appropriate. You could write, Jesus wept in the hallways at our schools. I think it would work. You could put Jesus wept in the halls of our government. 
and what we have done with everything. You could put Jesus wept on the walls at Green Hill. You could write Jesus wept in the halls of our hospitals. You could write Jesus wept on the walls of some of our churches. I, I can't find. You could write Jesus wept and scribble it in graffiti on the side of the buildings downtown in the refugee camps. You could write it on all of the homeless shelters and in the food banks. You could write Jesus. It fits everywhere. You could write it in your home, in your workplace. I challenge you. Think about all of the different places where you could just scribble those two words, Jesus wept, and they're appropriate in every single place. I was thinking about why did Jesus weep? I want you to write down three words. Solidarity, love, and resistance. Jesus wept in solidarity, out of love, and in resistance. If you think about how John opened his gospel, he said that uh, Jesus would be the Word become flesh. God taking on human life. I can't think of a better text that comments on the Word becoming flesh than Jesus wept. Jesus weeps as an act of solidarity with us. He is one of us. There's no part of the human experience that, that Jesus is not willing to enter. He, he enters into our grief with us. He walks through these dark and difficult times with us. He reveals a God who will enter the fragile nature of what it means to be a human. He, he reveals a God who is willing to enter into our suffering. We weep together. This is a communal, a, a community weeping. And Jesus is part of that. Jesus weeps as a sign of His solidarity with us. And in so doing, he, he lets us know that we are not alone when we face difficult times in our lives. When you experience pain and brokenness and you wonder, well, Jesus, you could, you could have fixed this. Where, where are you? He'll say, I'm, I'm right here. I, I'm with you in it. I'm weeping with you. I may not run right in and rush right in and fix your problem in just the way that you want, but that does not mean that you are alone and abandoned. I am with you every step of the way. Jesus wept. Remember in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, one of the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus is the embodiment of that comfort. I think about times of 
tragedy. You know, we hear about natural disasters in the news uh, often, or mass shootings, or you know, the chaos that breaks out around the world. It's a regular part of, of our existence. We hear about it all the time. And, you know, we, we, sometimes we know the people who are affected, and they lose everything, or they, they lose a life, or they fall ill, or you know, some, some havoc is just wreaked in our lives, and we know these people. And sometimes we might call out, Lord, if you had been here, maybe this wouldn't have happened didn't have to be like this, God. If only you would show yourself. If only you were here. But God is there. Jesus wept. He's with you through all of this. He stands in solidarity with us. Jesus weeps for another reason. When he wept, the very next verse, I think it was the very next verse, right? Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus weeps as a sign of his deep love for Lazarus. Jesus weeps because he loves you. His tears were not just to stand in solidarity as human to human, with Mary and Martha and the grieving community around him, but because he deeply loved Lazarus. Jesus' tears are testimony to this love. This, this lamentation, or lamentations, when we, when, we, when we speak out about someone whom we loved in grief, and we lament their loss or their situation Lamentation is a hymn of love for those who have gone before us. It's a hymn of love for those who are struggling with something. To lament, to, to weep is to love. As if there was no emotion, there would be no tears. So to weep is to love. When God weeps, God loves. And Jesus wept to reveal his suffering love even as he is headed in the direction of his cross and his own death. He loves Lazarus. He loves Martha. He loves Mary. He looks at the whole group of people who have gathered around and they're just distraught because Lazarus is gone and he loves them all. And he weeps. You know, I... One of the privileges of serving as a pastor is to walk with people through grief. And sometimes we don't... You've been in a situation where you just don't feel like you have the words for a situation. Like, I really don't know what to say to fix it or to make you feel better. You know, when I enter into a room with people grieving at once in a while, oh good, the pastor's here, he'll know just exactly what to say. Maybe. Maybe. There's a lot of good words to say in here. But I've found 
that it's not really words that you speak that people remember. It's the presence. I don't always know what to say. I can usually string some words together, but I don't think that's the most important part. I think tears express love more than any words that you could come up with. Jesus wept because He loves you. John says that Jesus wept in solidarity with us. Yeah, I think that's true. I think He wept out of His love for us. I think that was true as well. But I also think that Jesus wept as a form of resistance to the reality of death. Jesus fights against death with holy tears of anger. Jesus got angry here. It's in your Bible. Two times John says that Jesus was deeply moved, right? Two times. Jesus was deeply moved. He was troubled in spirit. He was greatly disturbed by what was happening. Verse 29, it starts when Martha has gone back to the house and tells Mary, hey, Jesus is here. He wants to see you. And Mary gets up and she rushes out of the house and people think, oh, she's going to the tomb. And so they all get up and they follow her out and she goes out to Jesus. If only you were here, you know, our brother wouldn't have died. They're mourning, wailing, lamenting, crying. And Jesus sees their grief in verse 33. John says he was deeply moved. Now, John uses an interesting word here to talk about being deeply moved. Most translations say deeply moved in spirit and troubled, but it goes quite a bit deeper than this. This was a powerful emotion. This was an intense emotion. The Greek word is probably better translated as Jesus was indignant. Jesus was aggravated. Jesus was irritated. Jesus was righteously angry. It's probably a better way to write that out. The root word that John, or the root of the word that John uses there means to snort with anger. I mean, think about that. Snort with anger expresses this human outrage. Jesus sees all the people and they're lost in their grief and he knows his friend Lazarus is dead and buried and in a dark cave and he is deeply indignant. And this isn't the only time that Jesus has been perturbed, that Jesus has been angry about something like this. If you flip back over to Mark or write it down and you know it's Mark chapter 1 verse 40 and, and following, I think there's this man who had leprosy and he came to Jesus and he said, Lord, can you make me clean? And Mark says that Jesus was indignant, that Jesus was angry. Now, it would beg the question, was Jesus angry at the guy for coming and saying, can you heal me? No. Jesus wasn't angry with the leper. He's not angry with Mary and Martha and all those who had gathered to mourn the, the death of, of Lazarus. Jesus is angry. He is outraged because he found himself face to face with the toll that disease and brokenness and pain and suffering and death take on the world. That's what he's angry about. He weeps angrily 
at death's hold on Lazarus, and he weeps over death's hold on us. We know that Lazarus is dead, for sure. John tells us he's been in the grave for four days. And Martha even emphasizes this in, the, in verse 39. You know, there's some, there's some, you know, redeeming value of keeping that old King James Bible around, and John 11.39 is one of them. I mean, Jesus says, roll the stone away, and Martha's like, time out, Jesus, because he stinketh. That's exactly word for word what the King James Version says. I, that's my favorite verse in the King James Bible, I think. He stinketh. Death stinks, right? Now, we might not think the detail of four days means a whole lot. It means he's dead, right? I think the detail's in there for a reason. There's a... Um, Four days, being in the tomb four days is pretty significant because there's this, there's evidence of a rabbinic belief that the soul hovered near the body for three days. And when the soul figured out, oh no, we're decomposing now, that's was the gives the soul pass to, to move on. And so if that was a belief that was held, John is tapping into that, you know, cultural um, belief there. And so four days in the tomb, it would mean that Lazarus' soul has moved on as well. So he is dead. He's decomposing. There's no chance. And so for Jesus to call him out of the grave and be alive, I mean, that would be a first-order miracle for Jesus. That would get people's attention. There's no question that Lazarus um, was dead. There's, nobody was going to say, well, he just went into hibernation. There's, this is not a hoax. There's no smoke and mirrors around this miracle. He's dead. D-E-D, dead. Jesus is upset. He's angry. He weeps at death's grip on us. And when we read that in Scripture, he weeps at sin's grasp around our throat. Because sin leads us to death. And Jesus is angry about that and he weeps over it because he knows there's a better way. He knows the real truth about death. He knows that death cannot overcome life. He knows that there is life and that there is freedom that are found in God. Through him, I am the resurrection and the life. See, the tomb of Lazarus is a dark place, cave, downstairs perhaps, and if you, if you go to Israel, you would find that it's a dark place. A lot of people who go to a pilgrimage to Israel will find themselves touring the cave uh, or the, the tomb of Lazarus, and you can go down into it, and you could recognize how dark that it is when you're, when you're down in this place. But I'm going to tell you that you don't have to go to Israel and down into Lazarus' tomb to imagine what it's like. You have been there. Maybe it was when you lost your job. Maybe it was when the doctor came and tried to explain that the cancer that was gone is back. Maybe it was when somebody broke your heart. Maybe it was when you were 
thinking that you were stuck in a place and you just didn't know how to get beyond it. You know how dark Lazarus' tomb was. The question is, once you're in a dark place like that, how do you see Jesus? I'll be honest, it's, it can be really difficult to see Jesus when you're in a dark place like that. It can be difficult really to, to see anything. When life is difficult, when life goes dark, it's hard to see anything clearly. Lazarus could not see Jesus. John specifically tells us that he was still bound in his grave clothes, hands and feet, and it said he had a cloth wrapped around his head. So not only is the tomb in the cave dark, but he's got a blindfold on. There's no way that Lazarus can see Jesus. So when you, when you can't see Jesus, what do you do? You listen. Lazarus could hear Jesus. He couldn't see him, but he could hear him. You have to trust your ears when you're in dark places in your life sometimes. You have to listen to the Christian counsel that's around you. You have to listen to the proclamation of the church. You have to listen to the words that God speaks to us through His Scripture. You might not be able to see Jesus, but you can hear Him. Jesus stands at the door of your tomb and he calls you out. He calls you by name, Lazarus, come out. Come out of your fear. Come out of your grief. Come out of your anger. Come from the dark place that you've been nurturing all of that hurt in. You don't have to be a victim. Lazarus, come out. But you have to make a choice. Are you going to believe that there is new life out there waiting for you in the one who is the resurrection and the life, or are you going to settle back into the place of death? You may not be able to see Jesus, but you can certainly hear him. And when you hear him calling your name up and out of the grave that you're in, you're going to have to make a choice. Do you want to step into the new life that he offers and the resurrection, or do you want to just stay in the grave? Maybe you can't see your way out of the pain. Jesus can see. I'm the light of the world, he says. Listen to the one who is calling you. See, in the presence of death, Jesus weeps. The presence of death brings tears to God's face. But Jesus does not shrink back from death. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is not talking like Martha was about that day way off in the future when we call judgment day. Jesus says, I am, I am. Not I will be. Not I was. I am. It's present tense. I am the resurrection and the life. This is 
right here, right now, in this place. I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And Jesus' voice is like this alarm clock that calls Lazarus out of the depths of the grave, out of the darkness that surrounds him. Jesus is the alarm clock that reverberates throughout that dark and silent, empty tomb, and, and it awakens Lazarus's lifeless body, and he calls him out and into new life. Lazarus. And out comes Lazarus, still bound up in all of his grave clothes. Dead Lazarus was now alive Lazarus. And, and the raising of Lazarus is not just about Jesus' power to raise others from the dead. It is about his power to give new life. God's life does more than simply overcome death. God renders death obsolete. Maybe, maybe one amen. <laughs> God demonstrates in Jesus how he will defeat death once and for all. And it happens in the now, in the present. One of the authors I enjoy reading, she's a pastor and a teacher. Her name's Barbara Brown Taylor. She, she tells the story about her friend Matilda, who died uh, when this was written, had died about six years ago. And she says she had uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, which means that she gradually lost control of all her muscles. Her face went first, then her vocal cords, then her legs. For the last year of her life, she communicated by writing on a slate one of those erasable things the kids play with. Sometimes she would get so excited that she would write and erase faster than anyone could read. Matilda found a lot to be excited about. Watercolors, for instance. When she could not talk anymore, she taught herself to paint until her kitchen walls were papered with tulips, peonies, daffodils, hibiscus. When you went to visit Matilda, you painted. That was one of the rules. It did not matter if you had no ability, if the last time you held a paintbrush was to put a coat of latex on your bathroom wall, Matilda stuck one in your hand, shoved a plastic egg container full of colors in front of you, and you painted. The best part was afterwards when she admired your work, sticking her thumb up in the air and rewarding you with her loose, drooling grin. It was all I could do to watch her die. I wanted someone to walk into her room with a pill or a prayer that would cure her illness or at last halt its progress. But even if that had happened, even if Jesus himself had showed up to call her from her tomb, she would have had to die all over again later, as Lazarus did. It would have been a rescue from death instead of a triumph over it, a resuscitation instead of a resurrection. Something bigger than that was going on with Matilda. Every time she lost something she thought she could not live without, she found out she could. First, there was a painful void that lasted an hour, a day, a week. Then something new moved in to fill the empty place. Fresh series of paintings, a new friend, a deeper sense of the presence of God. He is calling me, she wrote on her slate one day. 
like a bridegroom calling his bride. Her resurrection began before she died, and everyone around her saw it. When she set her cup down, it was empty. There was nothing wasted, nothing left over to spill or lament. She died clean as a whistle, and several of the people who sat by her bed that day say their fear of death died with her. Having watched her do it, they believed they can do it too. So Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. It means it starts now, and we can learn to live into this new life with Jesus each and every day. When Jesus wept, he signaled that deliverance was about to come, that deliverance was in him, in his very person. When Jesus calls you out of the grave you're in, not only does he call you into new life, but he sets you free. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. When Lazarus came stumbling out of that tomb, Jesus says, unbind him. Take those grave clothes off and let him go. Free him. Death's grip was stripped away and exchanged for a life of freedom. When, when God weeps, it is the beginning of the death of death. When God weeps, watch out, new life is on the horizon. Jesus weeps for everyone who is dead and bound up, shackled to something. His tears flow for the resurrection life that, that we can and will experience through him. He will raise you up and free you from the sting of death that you might be feeling in your life. Maybe we need to say drug and alcohol addiction, let him go. Maybe we need to say low self-esteem, let her go. Maybe we need to say depression, let him go. Suicidal thoughts, let her go. Oppression, let him go. Confusion, let her go. Illness and disease, let us go. Feelings of being unloved or abandoned, let us go. Discouragement, let us go. Jesus comes to those places. He comes to those tombs that we're in. And he calls you by name. And he says, come out. And when you come out alive with new life, he says, to whatever is binding you, let him or her go. So go. Be free. Go as Jesus weeps and his tears wash you in the baptism of his love. 
Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave, out of the darkness, out of death. Jesus calls you out of the grave even now. He calls you out of the life of sin you might be believing. He calls you to experience this new life with him. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I can set you free. So may our weeping begin because we know that Jesus will weep with us in solidarity. Let our weeping begin because we know that Jesus will weep with us because he loves us dearly. Begin weeping because we know that Jesus will flow tears of resistance against the death and the sin that we're bound to. The best way I know to end this one is to read you part of a psalm. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears, those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy. If you plant seeds with tears, the promise of Scripture is that you will reap joy. The people of God said, Amen.